Here we go. It's the first quarter of the big game. You want to toss up a Hail Mary. They've done studies, you know. 60% of the time, it works every time. If you're good at something, never do it for free. I'd like to be pimps from Oakland or cowboys from Arizona, but it's not Halloween. Look, my friend, this is just where you and I differ. Grow up, Peter Pan. No chocula. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. Welcome back, Sox and Jacks. I'm Tom out. Andrew on the board. SB Futures down 29. NASDAQ Futures down 154. We're down a little bit more. Is Apple disappointed some, and so did uh, Alphabet read Google. So Apple's down... Uh, uh, 312, so it's not horrible, 2%. See, all these things have been up. Uh, Amazon's down 5 and kind of sympathy. Uh, actually, they had earnings too, so Amazon's down 5, even though nobody's talking about them, but they are moving. Um, and we have uh, Google is down uh, 472, which is 434. Do we have Mr. Kevin with us? Is Kevin there? Hello. What's yeah, up, I'm man? here. You there? Yeah, I'm here. So, uh, a couple of incidents yesterday, Kevin. Just, you know, just view of the world sort of stuff. Um, one is uh, the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame is allegedly being uh, courted by Alabama. Last time I checked, Alabama was a state school, uh, not for profit, um, all those kinds of things. And what, they sent a jet up to pick up Tommy Reese to fly him down for his interview? Uh, so it was uh, tweeted at one point, but that may or may not be true. Okay. Remember, ha- uh, you know, a, a large percentage of what gets finds its way on the social media is crap. So you think he but got maybe, his, but maybe. So you think he got in his car and drove the midway, got on Southwest? No, Hall. I don't think I don't think he did that, and uh, uh, and and maybe that is was part of the issue, and maybe that's why they did send. Um, the uh, an athletic department uh, airplane to go get them because you know the flight from South Bend to Tuscaloosa if you were flying commercial would probably be not one but two connections um, so that could be so and you fly nonstop from Midway or O'Hare to Birmingham so most of the people in Alabama <clears throat> that are paying for this have access to a private jet. Pretty much, yeah. I don't think so, yeah. Doesn't everybody in Alabama have access to a flight? I would think so. A private jet. Now, you know, my my guess is that there is some kind of booster club or something that pays for all of this kind of stuff. So there's there's probably a private not-for-profit entity um, that uh, that does this. All right. So I have a a question for you because you're, uh, well, I guess I'm still close to... Because I'm a damn savant. Well, you, you sort of are when it comes to younger people because you're hanging around with them more. I mean, I have Andrew and uh, and Matt, <clears throat> but uh, I don't know if they're representative of anything. Just saying. <clears throat> so there I was last night, minding my own business. I head over to the health club. As I, usual. Yeah, not that, anybody as needs, usual. not that anybody needs to know. I head over to the club. I have a decent workout for the first time in a while. Working my Trying to get back here, Kevin, a little bit. Let's just say... The journey of a thousand miles is about two steps into it, but uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm giving it a, a serious effort. <clears throat> so I meet a few of my, <clears throat> sorry, creatures, and uh, anyway, nobody had any chow, so we're cutting back. So one of the guys says, "Why don't we go to Triple A and grab a uh, 
bowl of chowder. And Tripoli has some of the best chowder because Nick is from Boston. Anyway, so we, we watch a little bit of the Bulls game, head out. You know, we're talking 8 o'clock, so we're not talking midnight or anything like that. And nobody's, you know, been overserved or anything. So I'm parked across the street, right? I get the big old Suburban, and I'm, I'm in there. So there's a, there's a spot in front of me. And this guy is, and it's not a very big spot, and he's a pretty poor parallel parker, and he's trying to get in there. So I waved at a dude, and I said, you know, like, I'm behind you. I'll pull right out, and you can... <laughs> You can have a block to park on. <clears throat> nope. The guy pulls in, finally gets it in at a reasonable angle, and he and he pulls it back. And instead of like pulling it back up to uh, you know to be equidistant between the person front and back, like most people that have a brain cell learn to do at an early age, he kind of leaves it like a foot from my truck. So he gets out and he looks at it, and he says. And I roll the window down. He goes, oh, man, sorry about that. And I go, okay. And I, and I said, by the way, how, how much room do I have behind me? Because he's standing there. And he goes, yeah, maybe a foot because somebody parked right behind me. Now, you would think that he would say, let me pull up a little bit. Now, he's a decent guy. He wasn't, wasn't an ass or anything like that. I mean, I'm saying he's, you know, sorry, Matt, maybe, or sorry, maybe from, maybe from the Burbs. Uh, <clears throat> had, had absolutely no concept that, A, he could have just waited for me to pull out, in which case he'd have had a block to park in. And secondly, why would he leave 10 feet in front of him and a foot behind him by me? And, but the thought of getting back in the car, so all of a sudden, I, and I said to him, well, I guess I can get out eventually. <laughs> the guy walks off. I'm like, okay, but he wasn't being rude. He wasn't, he was probably a really... He's not inconsiderate, he's non-considerate. Yeah, he, and I'm saying it's, it's, like, it's like the difference between immoral and amoral. He had, he had no idea what the right thing to do. How, how does somebody get to that age without somebody, a dad, an uncle, a grandfather, a mom, saying, hey, look, th- this is normal behavior to people. You don't, you don't stand up against somebody in an elevator when the elevator. You, you know what a weird part is, Kevin? As much as I had a small part of me, there's still a small part of me that's from the south side, a small part of me said, you know, I could just take the bumper to Suburban and, like, push him where I want him to be. But... But I didn't touch him. It took me like five or six turns, but I got out without, without touching either the guy front and back because I'm still the guy I am, and I'm not going to change. But, I mean, the, the kid had no idea what the right thing to do was, and he had no idea that I was signaling him that, hey, I'm going to pull out. Just chill for a minute. I, what, how, do you, how do you go through? What was wrong in the early? Sorry, Andrew. Did the dude spend his whole game playing video games or what? I mean, how, how do you not know this simple well, stuff? It, it's it's entirely possible that uh, um, that it is the uh, parent parents' generation, uh, A.K. It, to some degree, boomers, and and certainly the uh, what is it X Gen X right after us that um, that are not uh, teaching our kids to uh, you know to to be empathetic. It, 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 it's interesting that you bring this up because we're. You know, I was in class last night, and we're uh, the the class I'm teaching is it's like the first uh, the IT class I'm teaching is like the first course for uh, our our IT students, and it gives them an overview of pretty much all technologies. We do, you know, networking. I mean, I, I teach them things like hexadecimal math. I think I've mentioned that before because that's a real basic skill that they have to have. But we get into networks, and we get into software development, and 
project management and cybersecurity and, uh, and databases and you know you go on and on there's a, there's a hit every week in a, on a new topic so last night we were talking about software development and software design um, and it, it's exactly what you were saying is you know you you have to if you're going to be really good at your job you have to do it with empathy for the end user um, that the the idea and, and I'm going to come back to them on uh, on Tuesday with some stuff about uh, IDEO and I don't know if you're familiar with the company but they're they're the design thinking you know pioneer David Kelly who started it up is kind of a pioneer in that field and it really is it's it's all about saying you know what as you look at you know this is professionally speaking but it would apply to how we live our lives as you just look around you can you see other people and project into their situations so that you can be more than polite you can be accommodating to people yeah i don't know i just it is it is so ingrained in the dna i mean uh you know when i learned how to drive that if you notice the person in front of you that the guy in front of him or lady is right up against his bumper and you have 10 feet of clearance where you are you would immediately give the person in front six and the guy behind you four knowing he has no room in front of him and that, how do you not be aware of your surroundings and just as a as a normal person just trying to make life better for everybody how do you not it, it's no it's no it's no uh, strain on the brain as I used to say in high school, it's no strain on the brain to, to just be observant and say, let's just make it easy for both these people. I, but to, to not even have any idea, if I would have said to the kid, you know, you really should get in your car and pull the thing up four feet at this point. That, that would be the incredible thing to do. He would have looked at me like I had three heads. He had no idea what, I, what I'd be talking about. How do, you, how do you get to age 28 or whatever he was being like that? Well, uh, practice. Because <laughs> well, then again, how do you, you Just practice, practice, practice. Um, you know, it, it, it honestly, Tom. It, it, I don't think it's an age group thing because you know, as you, as you brought it up, and you said, "Well, uh, young people." I think there's a lot of people oh, yeah, out right. in the world who are just oblivious to everything around them. It's it's the same thing that allows you to stop and talk to someone parked right in the middle of the grocery aisle. Yeah, you know. They, Hey, and and just have no idea that there's people coming up and down there, and you and and you're blocking their way. Uh, you know, it's it's the same thing that uh, you know I see it in, in the basketball arena. But, you know, and look at somebody and say, you know, that's a really bad place to congregate. There's a whole bunch of people trying to go home here. Uh, it, it's it, it's like there's there's nothing else in the world but me. Do you think, uh, you know? Which I think is a rotten attitude for everybody else, but it is the proper attitude for me. Do, do you do you think? I mean, in this in this day and age, uh, and you see other other countries do this. You know, and I'm not Luke could probably give us chapter and verse, and maybe Mike, and who does or who doesn't. Uh, my my stepfather, who was you know <laughs> interesting character, but he when he was in the army, he said, you know, it's the world's greatest training in the sense that you have a job to do and you have to learn. To get along and be, and be you know, whatever, get along and be nice to people that you don't necessarily like because you're all in the same team and you got the same goal. Do you think it would be, be it would be a good idea? And I'm not talking about, you know, popping people on the head and constricting them like they're doing in Russia, 
for some sort of a national service thing where maybe even 20% of the people, uh, you don't necessarily have to go in the Army, but you could be in the uh, you know, environmental corps or something where everybody does a six, eight weeks of training where you learn you know, some how to shoot, or at least a le- you could be a soldier, halfway to, to being a soldier, and, and, and have to do a, you know, do a year or something, and maybe not three years, but a year, and just some kind of service like that would be a good idea. Uh, in many ways, yes. Uh, as a believer in freedom, I don't want to conscript people into service. Um, so, you know, that that's, that, that's a, a different issue. What I will say is, and, and this is this is kind of interesting because I've, I've had this, you know, kind of observation and, and theory for a while. You get, you get these young people that go on shooting sprees. Yeah. Um, and I wonder... You know, because that is really for, for for healthy people. You know, for people to lead healthy lives and and productive lives, a big aspect of uh, of your happiness is that you're committed to something other than yourself. Without a doubt, and and service is, is a big part of that. Um, and you know, I, I'm lucky at this point in my life. I get to do that every day because I sure as hell don't do it for the money because you know, don't yeah. pay that much. Um, so, uh, uh, so you know, getting uh, getting to work with people, help them make their lives better uh, via education is a wonderful thing, and it and it really makes my life richer. And I wonder, uh, you know, have have you ever seen? And and so I'm sure a listener can tweet in uh, an example, and maybe there is an example. But in general, have you ever seen one of these young people who goes on the uh, shooting spree? They're, they're so depressed and. And, and and have been so uh, you know so wronged by life. Have, have any of them ever been from a parochial school? Because at the parochial schools, every every religious school on earth has a service aspect to their education. Well, they do yeah. get their young people involved in different kinds of service projects, um, and, uh, and and some of them pretty significant, and some of them pretty small. And I don't think that's part of, it's not part of a typical public school curriculum. Do they have service clubs and people who do great things? Yes. But is it something that they take, you know, 100% of their students through to do it? Uh, I don't think so. And I'm wondering if that's where we really, really need to focus is maybe we go to the high school level and start instilling service as part of the education. Well, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced, and I don't want to, uh, there, there have been, let's say, people that have been successful uh, I mean, the, the the Catholic religion. We, I mean, we had nuns and that stuff when I was growing up, but uh, basically, the, the Catholic religion uh, counts on the parents to I'll use the term indoctrinate or train the kids in the religion. Which, as the parents have gotten less and less religious, I don't think that's worked out so well for them. Uh, you don't see the Mormons doing that. I mean, the Mormons. There's weekends that the kids are age ten where they're taking the kid for the weekend. They're not. They're not counting on you to. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just explaining. Uh, by the way, the Hitler Youth <laughs> did it too. And I'm not comparing the Mormons to the Nazis, but uh, the, uh, the the people in charge of Nazidom didn't count on the families to indoctrinate the kids. They were going to do it themselves, right? Now, I, I'm not saying that, that that I want anybody to be anything like that genre. But we're seeing in a lot of these areas where there's crime and there's all kinds of problems that the family unit has totally degraded to the point where I think somehow or another, Kevin, without 
being constrictive, without being the Nazis, uh, without you know trumpeting some religion up somebody's behind. Somewhere along the line, there needs to be some way for these kids, at least in the summertime, to get the hell out of there and do something else, whether it's a junior ROTC program, whether it's a junior environmental program, whether it's something. Somewhere in June, July, for eight weeks or whatever, these kids have to see a different world. And I don't, I don't know that it needs to be, uh, you know, forced on somebody. I think that's probably a bad idea. But I'd like to see two or three different people try it on a small basis and find out. And if it doesn't work, so what? You, you planted a bunch of trees and you gave kids a bunch of hot meals. I mean, I, I mean, it, it doesn't work. It's not going to be a fiasco. It's still better than probably hanging around on the street. But I'd like to see something like that. We don't, we don't try anything that's outside the box that that might have a chance of doing somebody some good. Now, whether some kids want to be in Junior ROTC, when I say that, ROTC, uh, Officer Training Corps, or even... I mean, I, I don't know, maybe you try a military one, maybe you try an environmental one, maybe you try one where it's just education, I don't know. But, I mean, I try a bunch of different stuff. But Of course, everybody has to have money in a greasy pound before they do anything. But somehow or another, just letting these areas fester and these families fall apart and the drugs just inundate the place... That is no answer to me. I mean, is it? T- I mean, I, I wish I knew the answer, but I, I would. What I'm all I know. I, one thing I do know is we better try something because this isn't working, or is it? I don't think it is. No, it's a, it, it, it's not working because you we you can tell because of the way that it, it's it's more than just um, you know some some kids gone bad or 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 whatever um, that we find and and you find you find some pretty bad stuff in the suburbs too oh yeah we, we had we had one shooter up in the north suburbs of chicago what last year sometime well the incidence um, of drug drugs in the suburbs is, is horrible though yeah even, even so, a good one. uh so what, what i'm saying is it, this isn't this isn't just an urban thing but it no. is you know it's a bad problem in, in urban areas um and uh but again it, it the the worst of the worst. It, you, you either have, you know, I, I would say two categories. You have these people who uh, are, are just so self-absorbed and feeling like, you know, life ain't worth isn't worth living. I'm going to take down, you know, and, and I've been crapped all over all my life, and uh, and and therefore I'm taking others with me too. Um, that that's one mindset that we that we encounter, and that's what we see in a lot of the mass shootings. On the other side, you see um, the people who get involved in gangs, and and they just there's no value for human life. You know, okay, smoked them, wasn't a problem. You know, yeah. it was, you know, it was just a problem. Don't think twice about it. Don't feel bad about it. Um, and, and that's that's a whole different issue. I don't think I don't um, think that I honestly don't believe Kevin that that's rehabable. I mean, I, I hope I'm wrong, boy, but I. I don't think it is. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think it is, but you're right. Once you get to once, you, if you're 14 and that's the way you feel, um, what you're going to be like when you're 22, 23, 24? Um, you know that that's a total gangster mindset. Um, if, if you go back to the old transactional analysis model, you know, the, I, I'm okay, you're okay. The, this is an I, you know, so you either have the uh, I'm not okay, you're not okay. Um, therefore, the, uh, you know, I, I can go on a shooting spree and and we all go down. Or you have that, you know, I'm okay, you're not okay, so I can do whatever I want to you. Well, yeah, and I, I don't, when I don't know my, my grandmother, who was a, a immigrant from Italy, was a pretty bright lady, 
uh, used to say people, they, you reach the age of reason and you, you should know right and wrong when you're seven. And if you, if you don't know it by then, you're never going to learn. And I don't know if she's right about that, but she goes, well, I, and I don't know if you're, uh, that, that's not 100% right and wrong. It's just having, you know, having that moral center. To, uh, to what you do, no, you, know, you don't. You don't go around. Learn, start, you know. like like it's it's called the age of reason because you are at the point where you can now start thinking: is this right or is this wrong? And if you never ask to ask that question, <laughs> you're kind of a criminal. Yeah, I, uh, well, I mean, if you don't know that you're not supposed to be stabbing animals or people by age seven, you're never going to figure it out. <laughs> I, I, I maybe maybe there's a chance, but anyway, we have to. Uh, when we come back. Let's talk a little bit. Uh, well, we're not going to break yet, but I just I I'm I want to I'm I'm, I'm going to start interviewing now around the country, even though I, I have no intention of going anywhere, just to see how many people send private jets for me. What do you think? I've never been on one of you. Sure, yeah, they're great. It's the best way to travel ever. I was I actually a guy came in for a a, uh, a seminar years ago. He, he was a character boy. A quick story. Uh, he he played for uh, Darrell. Andrew, who am I talking about? Darrell. Who I yeah. don't know it. Texas. No, Andrew has no idea that that's Daryl Royal. That's the Texas Darrell. That's how you pronounce the guy's name if you're from Texas. And uh, so this dude, he was a pretty big guy. He played uh, defensive end. He was like a second stringer for Darrell. And uh, <laughs> we're talking about a character. Somehow the guy had made like a lot of dough. He was actually a helicopter pilot. And uh, but he had the private jet. And the wife was with him, and the wife made it known that uh, there was no way he was buying a Lear, because evidently the original Lears, the the head, for lack of a better term, was a, a seat that you pulled up somewhere near where the pilots were, and sort of in full view, that was your bathroom. <laughs> and she's like, no way I'm doing that. <laughs> so so the, he had to get a Gulfstream, which he actually has a regular bathroom in it, like a regular, well, like a commercial plane. Goes, no way I'm... <laughs> I'm, I'm using a bathroom like next to the pilot. I'm going, okay then. Anyway, so I go to see the guy's jet, and they're the pilot with a whole list of stuff. It's it's like a it's like a RV or a house or something. Let's see, the locker, the bathroom needs fixed. You had a list of like, every time you fly the thing, there's like 10 things you find that you need to be fixed. Mean, it's constant maintenance. The thing was pretty neat. And, uh, yeah, and they, can, they, they range from being luxurious to being utilitarian. Yeah, but this dude was saying he... Uh, he he went to a pro camp, and he said, "You know, these guys are bigger, faster. They hit so hard, even on even on uh, uh, whatever uh, special teams." He goes, "I want I want no part of this." Plus, he says, "I wasn't big enough and fast enough." So I go to my everybody. Everybody in Texas had had a guy right that kind of took care of you. It wouldn't give you a lot of dough. I mean, not like today, but they they sort of took care of you. And uh, I said to him, "Hey, you know, can you help me out going to law school?" <laughs> the guy goes. You weren't much of a student when you were here. Why all of a sudden should they give you more money to go to law school? <laughs> so I don't know if he did it on his own or what he did. <laughs> he ends up going to law school and <clears throat> buys some place and ends up being some big shot down in Texas. But yeah, he goes, I went back to my guy. And my guy's like, I got a new guy. Why do I care about you anymore? You were, you were a horse bleep student when you were here. Now you want me to give you money for going to grad school? <laughs> so there's always been a little bit of this going on in, 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 in the sports, shall we say, uh, Kevin. But uh, and when we come back, we might induce... Uh, Mr. Mr. Murphy to call in. Um, and if he says over this week when he's done talking, are we going to break in and say you picked a bad week to quit amphetamines or something like in the movie? Uh, no, I, I think we would just let him be military. All right, it's who he is. Now, what if he says Roger? Roger. 
Um, oh, uh, Roger, over. Yeah, um, Roger, over. Yeah, you, you try dragging uh, uh, Lanier and Chamberlain up and down the court for 48 minutes. Yeah, God. SP Futures down 27, Hazard's down 152. The stocks we're talking about, Amazon's down 491, Apple down 351, and we have Google down uh, 435. Nothing major, 4% on a couple of them, but uh, they've all been up this week, so I'm not going to say it's a it's a game changer in the rally, or at least not yet. Be right back, Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. 
But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Welcome back, Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tamal. Andrew on the board. S&P futures down 28. Nasdaq futures down 156. We've been up uh, pretty much uh, every day. The last couple weeks we had one down day earlier in the week, but basically it's been a big run. January continuing into February, and uh, had some earnings last night that weren't so hot. At Amazon down five bucks, four four point four percent. We had Apple down three forty seven, two point three percent. We've got Google down four sixty one. That's four percent. Uh, trade one hundred four nineteen, but still. These stocks have been up. That whole area has been up a bunch. The one that was up the most is uh, Meta, which is that wouldn't exactly be my choice. But then again, that's the one that's up. And the other ones are down. Uh, over in Europe, we've got the DAX down 84.5 percent. FTSE is actually up 19.2 percent. Kakaron down 11.2. So nothing major to the downside there at all. They've been they've been very buoyant this month or this year. Uh, Asia, we've got the Nikkei up 107.4 percent. Hang Seng down. 297 as this thing continues to drop after this massive rally from like 14.5 in October to 23, almost 24. Now it's back to 21.6. Shanghai down 22. Uh, that's 0.7 percent. There's supposed to be, if, if uh, well, I don't know, I, I, I just heard about it this morning, some kind of balloon flying across North Dakota, I think it's from China. Uh, 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 information gathering balloon. Uh, that story will, uh, I'm anxious to see how that plays out. If anybody knows about that, please. Uh, Tweet in a uh, 10-year unchanged at 3.39. The bond up eight basis points, 2.15. Japan right at right at the top number, 0. 0.50. Uh, we've got oil uh, down 24 cents. Now it's down to 75.64. It was over. It was 82. I'm thinking Monday morning or last Thursday. So it's it's down a bunch. It's down only 10 percent this week. Uh, Brent down 27 cents, 81.91. Everybody who says that oil is going to 120 just keeps piling into these oil stocks. I don't know. They're not doing so hot as of right now. Natural gas down another two cents. 248 is the winner. It appears to be a mild one, even though it's cold today. Uh, we've got gold down a buck sixty, but still 1929. Silver down nine cents, 2352. Copper up three cents, 412. We've got Bitcoin uh, down 287, 23,527. So it's all about the same we were yesterday during the, the uh, show, and we had uh, what's her name, uh, the lady from Ark, uh, talking about going to 500,000. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, we've got the U.S. dollar is actually. Down a little bit today with the pound up to 109. I'm sorry, you're up to 109 and a pound at 1.23. So, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports, Andrew? It's cold out. All right. Yes, it is uh, here in Chicago on February 3rd, right now at uh, 6:37 a.m. Starting off with the sports. Last night, the Bulls won over the Hornets, ending their game 114 to 98. And tonight, over in Phoenix, we can look forward to the Suns playing the Celtics at 6:30. Now, over to Chicago weather, right now it is 3 degrees. Mostly clear, so hopefully a nice sky, but it is certainly going to be windy. That wind chill is going to be bringing it down quite a bit, but we're going to have a high of about 12 today. Uh, and over in Phoenix, very different story, 44 degrees, mostly clear skies, and they're going to have a high of 73, which I would very much yeah, like. Yeah, very much like. But uh, 
And finally to Chicago traffic. Looking pretty simple today. No uh, major accidents to report in the expressways. Just a little bit of delays in traffic near Harlem Ave on the inbound Eisenhower. Uh, but other than that, looking pretty normal today. So, uh, Kevin, what do you make of uh, a lot of these these stocks like flying back this year? Like everything, it's really a it's really a, an, an incredible situation when you look at. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going back the last five six years in the in the market, in the areas that you think are going to be the ones that are favored going forward, and if you use the you know the Warren Warren Buffett and other people would say you know buy what you like buy the industries that you think are uh, are going to be good ones and I've always said look everything has a price you can't just buy at any price or sell at any price everything is a buy price and a sell price hence hence my market maker training but uh, you know when Trump came in it was all going to be basic industry steel and everything else and when the guy came in steel companies went straight down it was and I, it was nothing Trump did or anything it just it just happened and now when we've gone to the electric car stuff I know because my uh, brother has a group of clients that essentially put together their own basket of all these companies that they think are going to be people that supply the electric car business and you know make the, the charging stations and you name it and they got themselves a little basket together and they had all very rigorous and, and I'm going to say they're I don't think they're down but they're not they're not killing it at all you would think that group was just going to fly and it sort of hasn't uh, yesterday even though we had a huge rally in the morning the stock that was down pretty heavy in the Dow was Honeywell, which is probably one of the top three in the defense area. And Lockheed Martin has been selling off lately, I and mean, it's higher than it was last year. But it, it is it is not all that intuitive, uh, Kevin. That uh, well, by by investing now, it's a, there's a lot of momentum trading, I and mean, if something starts to go up, everybody piles into it. Is anybody really thinking? There was a guy out yesterday, and he's on, you know he's on, on TV, so he must know what he's talking about, right? Uh, he's talking about Nvidia. Okay, now I have, I have nothing against NVIDIA at all, uh, but, you know, the, the dude is talking about uh, now is the time to buy NVIDIA. Well, hell, the stock was, stock traded, I mean, it closed where I got it. I've got it at 124 in October. Now it's 213. I, I want to be the guy who bought it then and sold it now. I mean, it's, I mean, uh, all of a sudden now we're, we've, we're back in this. We, we love the people who run the places. They're, these are... I've never seen so much hype up and down push stocks around, Kevin. And I think most people that invest stuff today don't even—I don't think they even know, know what the company makes or what, or what, they, what the earnings are. Just flying around, get somebody's recommendation, and go. And it's—it's dangerous to me. I mean, what, what do you see at your end? I mean, what per, what percentage of the people you deal with even talk about like the market or are involved, other than maybe a four hundred one k or something? Uh, not much. It generally is funds. Um. So, uh, so that you know, and, and it's it's you know, where's the right place to park? Uh, you know, I think the what, one of the issues is we get enamored of companies and, and forget where they are in terms of you know uh, uh, where where they are and where their markets are. So, uh, you know, I, on, on one one hand, I look at Amazon and how, say, how on earth can you lose money? <laughs> how can how can how can they uh, not uh, lose money? But the other but in, in general, if you look, is is the market for microchips growing? Yes. Is is Nvidia um, a a leader in the market? You know, they have good products, um, and they have some good specialty products. But are they really one of the top two or three chip makers? Well, no. Uh, Taiwan Semiconductor, Intel, Qualcomm, Broadcom. You know, you go a ways before you get to Nvidia. So 
unless you believe that NVIDIA has some kind of product that they can carve out their own niche and nobody's going to be able to touch them in there, you know, I, I think we get we fall in love with a company because of earnings and forget that where they are in the market is going to determine their long determine their long term viability. Growing market, yes. Do you have a share in there? No. If you don't have a great share, then you're kind of questionable. What do you think of the? Uh, well, it's not a recent phenomenon because it's 1982, but it's getting more and more where the uh, you'll hear it all day long that this company, even even Meta, Facebook. The thing that the thing that absolutely goosed the stock is they're gonna they're gonna buy forty billion of their own stock back. Um, when, when other than the, the managers with bonuses, why does everybody? I mean, if you listen to the the people on on TV, the announcers, I mean, they're 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 you know you're, you're giving them a you know some kind of a morphine high when you say you're gonna buy the stock back. This is the best thing you can do for shareholders. Kevin, has anybody ever thought that through and said, "Okay, what exactly am I doing here, and who who am I rewarding?" I mean, what? A, um, I, I I understand that with the double taxation of dividends, which I think we should get rid of, but it'll never happen. Uh, it, why why does why does something that becomes you know, just because it becomes routine, it becomes the right thing to do? I mean, why does anybody? If anybody does anybody ever track what actually happened? I mean, IBM's trading. Uh, uh, I mean, I. I if I went back and checked, I would, I would be able to tell. But trade one thirty six. I will bet you that they bought stock back at one ninety two hundred o- along the way. How, how did that help anybody exactly? Except somebody who maybe cashed out there. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, you, you can probably go find them. But your um, your long term investor is never going to sell because you're buying the stock now. Technically, I guess if you buy the stock back, there's now less shares outstanding. So your earnings are divided over less shareholders. So, in theory, I guess uh, you could instead of you know twenty cents a share next year, you might make twenty and a half or twenty one or something, depending on the percentage you bought back. But how does that mitigate what might be a crappy buy? I mean, I mean, Meta stocks one eighty six. Well, it was just let me see where it was. I mean, it was uh, you know it, it, it was just under. I think it traded ninety one. Somewhere down there. So how how buying it now the company to, to use cash to buy it at one eighty six? How is that a good deal? I guess if you think it's really worth four hundred or something, it's a good deal. But I mean, these guys are there is there is bad of buyers as as some retail traders and, and some professional traders buying something. Because I mean, what what why why not just send everybody a check for five hours? If you got all that money, send everybody a check for five hours a share for four. I mean what? This, the whole idea, just because people have done it now for so long, and it becomes a thing to do, and, and you'll, you'll have profess, professors on TV talking about, oh man, you got to buy your stock back. Well, well why? The, work, work me through. Work me through exactly how that works. If you're in Milton Friedman's class, he says, run this through from from stock and flow from beginning to end, where the money goes, who gets it, and why it's a good idea. I I, don't, I would challenge anybody to do that. Just saying. Yeah, I, I, I think that I think it's the I think it's the right way to think about it. But I mean, if if, if clearly, if I have a, a a bonus as an executive or maybe even a board member that struck at one seventy five, and the stock's trading one seventy, and you're buy stock back at like one ninety, announcement comes out, it's going to drive you up to fifteen bucks, and I can cash in my stock options. It's a great idea for me. But it, and if I were to pay a five hour dividend, well, now the stock's one seventy. 
that's not so good. But I mean, I. But since when? Do, I mean, the, the whole idea. I mean, the, the theme this week a little bit, Kevin. I want to get into this. This thought about these uh, universities, not just universities, but the whole concept. If, if you were to say to most people, define the word profit for me. I mean, you'd have all kinds of, of papers talking about, you know, the uh, CEO's responsibility is to maximize profit for the shareholders and something, something, something. I think, Kevin, right now, profit is about as many definitions as you can, as, as anybody wants to put on them. They're like recession now. Everybody gets to define it themselves. I mean, if you have, let's say, the University of Alabama, if all of a sudden, 20 years ago, assistant coaches made 60 grand a year, and now they're making 4 mil, I'm going to say, to me, that sounds an awful lot like profit. It's not like somebody owns the team and you're trying to maximize the bottom line. The expenses along the way build up to the point where if, any, if, uh, if I pay you as an executive of Alabama or Notre Dame or Commonwealth Edison twice what the going rate is because we're a monopoly and we don't really care about our shareholders, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that in the profit camp. Or something. I don't know what I'd call it, but yeah. Okay. So what? Essentially, what you're saying—that's an interesting way to look at it—that um, that you have a coaching staff and maybe an athletic director and some of the, those people who are effectively the shareholders who are making yeah. a, a, a lot of money on it, and then you have a certain amount that gets plowed back into the athletics program in general that you would call your retained earnings. Right. Well, and and I, I mean that that is an interesting way to look at it, and it's telling you that there has been historically um, a, a lot of undistributed profit or profit that was distributed in other ways, whether it was, you know, I mean, we're in the in the era of TV money being utterly huge, yeah. so that's finding its way back to Alabama, but was TV money always huge, and it was just the networks that were, ba- were banking the profits. Well, that's, that's, I'm sure that's very possible, whether it's... Because really, then, then what we're really saying is, that the model is shifting because we're squeezing the balloon and the balloon's bulging well, someplace else. But I mean, if you look at the at some of the salaries in not-for-profits, you know, I'm gonna, I mean, there, there are some, and I'm not, well, I've, I've, back in the day... Yeah, but if you make $800,000 a year running a not-for-profit... That's profit. You're doing, you're doing all right. Well, yeah. I mean, so, and I, and I, would, I would bet you that if you were to put out a, uh, a search and say, uh, can we replace this guy or this lady? We're willing to pay three fifty. I'm, I'm going to get. I'm going to bet, bet you get ten resumes better than the guy you got. Okay, so that so what so we're defining the profit then as uh, four fifty, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, so it's. I mean, the idea that 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 like like Notre Dame is not for profit is absurd, right? It's either it doesn't have shareholders. That's so, and I think the you know Eric's want to turn me on to this is management class now essentially scoops up a lot of the money instead of the shareholders through all industry and, and, the, and the boards that are supposed to uh, represent the shareholders really don't they get totally co-opted in a lot of ways I'm sure some places I'm going to say mid some of these mid-sized companies uh, probably have some really good boards but the, the big the big ones are totally co-opted in my opinion Kevin I mean uh, yeah I, I, I tend to think that you, you get to some of the smaller ones I think they're co-opted in a different way Um and, and I, I saw this in banking. Now, I, I saw some people with real integrity, um, 
like like when I worked for Pinnacle Bank in St. Joseph, I, I think the CEO and the president were people with incredible integrity, and uh, and so they they had a board. They you know this was people that they had known forever uh, on the board, and uh, you know I, I think the board could be candid with them, but there was still a cronyism to it. Oh that, yeah, oh uh, yeah. It meant that the board was pretty much not going to override management. They were just, you know, they were there for some oversight and to make sure nothing went terribly wrong. Um, and, uh, on the other hand, um, you know, when I when I was in Milwaukee, uh, I I think it was a, a total crony setup with the board, and um, and I, I you know it, uh, it, it was it was as bad. I mean, how else can a, uh, the the CEO uh, survive a uh, um, a guilty plea for insider training. <laughs> you know, oh yeah, oh yeah. How how else can that happen? Um, and uh, so it's you know you you start. I I think it can be just as bad. You may be right. It may be the mid-sized companies where you're better off. That you know if you get a little smaller, um, then it's it's the buddies. Well, um, I remember if the... you get a little if you get too big, um, you know it, it's, it's basically. Uh, it, it's it's being paid for a ceremonial position, and and please don't rock the boat. Well, I remember at the uh, Andrew. You say we have Mike. Uh, yeah, you can get him on. Well, if if you want, sure, grab him. Uh, the uh, yes, sir, I'm here. Hey, uh, so we we wanted to talk to you a little bit about in the because uh, Lou has mentioned it, but we haven't really gone into it. Is what is what is your feel on uh, like? Uh, don't they have like some of the some of the ROTC stuff is in high schools and things in some areas and what 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 do you th- what's your feeling on how that program works and is that something that could or should be expanded in some of these areas that aren't so aren't doing so hot? I think it could be expanded in some areas, but it's uh, it's a uh, not an intensive project, but. You have to find a retired NCO or officer to work with the JROTC students in the high school. And then uh, the school has to be willing to work with the retired military folks. So is it it mostly do public schools do it or uh, mostly private schools, parochial, or is it all spread around? No, I would say it's mostly public schools that would do it. Really? So like uh, now, I don't know about private schools, Tom, but I mean you also have uh, the the prep schools that uh, well, although with a military prep school you don't need to do a, a junior ROTC program because they're already doing it with the uh, military prep school. Well, just out of the, why don't you explain a little bit how I mean Notre Dame has a huge ROTC program. It's not as big as like Texas A and M or someplace, but it's still pretty good size and did, did most most of those people that, that were in it I mean uh, there was money involved I, I never really got into it on how much but there were there were some scholarships and so forth did, did those guys there weren't well there weren't any ladies when we were there but uh, did those guys have a get a real uh, head start on other people in the in the in the armed forces and did it really work out for them pretty well I mean that's a generalization well it depends on uh, okay you have the ROTC program at the universities some people do get scholarships. My son actually got a scholarship to Notre Dame through ROTC. And it, it, at Notre Dame, it paid the tuition, it, and they paid for books. It did not pay for room and board. 
So okay. it was still a hefty amount of money that I had to pay or that we had to pay to send my son to Notre Dame. Now, at a public school, it'll it, you may receive enough money to pay for everything, but I think the way things are going, I kind of doubt it. And so, but the ROTC program in a university is totally different than the junior ROTC program in a high school. Uh, I mean, none of those kids are receiving money from the junior ROTC program. Okay. They're just doing it to, to uh, engender discipline in the students. But now do those kids get a, I mean, would, would you would you get a, I won't say a heads up, but if one of those kids wanted to become an ROTC guy at A&M or Notre Dame or someplace, would it, would, would they flow right in or, or no? It wouldn't make any difference. I think it would help their case. It, it, they necessarily wouldn't flow right in, but uh, it would certainly build the case for them to attend a an ROTC program at a university. Does it include like uh, weeks away in the summer, or could it? Uh, not in the junior ROTC, to my knowledge, but I don't know enough about the junior ROTC. But the college ROTC does include weeks away in the summer. I mean, the students go to uh, what's essentially basic training for one of the summers. Okay. And then they go for more leadership training for the second summer. Okay, so it's like an eight-week program during the summer or whatever, something like that? Right. It, uh, and then they also uh, can go to a leadership opportunity in a unit through uh, the ROTC, but they essentially they compete for those. Um, so it's it's just a way, and and then those people, the the, the better people from the summer camps where they're training on leadership, and they then are screened essentially, not screened, but uh, they're chosen to go to be offered an active duty position and then they get the active duty position you know they then they then say they're going into the army and then they will eventually get an active duty position wasn't there like if was it after junior year that you either can quit and without any problem no it's after sophomore after year. sophomore year yeah, yeah at, and it was the same deal at west point um if if you completed sophomore year and it, I think it was right at the beginning of junior year, you, you know, you signed your commitment that you were going into the armed services or going into the Army. Well, the, uh, the, don't they get, after sophomore year, they get to tell you they don't want you too, right? That's correct. So <laughs> they make their commitment then. Didn't but, it, did but for instance, I had a, uh, a neighbor of ours. He was also in the Notre Dame ROTC program, and he unfortunately could not pass the physical training test, so the PT test. Okay. So then he, and and he was a junior and a senior at Notre Dame, so he completed the ROTC training, but then he, uh, but, but he didn't pass the PT test, so he couldn't become an officer, so therefore he had a commitment to the Army for four or five years as an enlisted soldier. And then he did his commitment, and then he got out of the Army. Remember the, remember the, guy, the guy down the hall from his sophomore year that 
he, he was too too high up on the nerd scale. They told him they didn't want him. Remember that guy? Well, he, you know, they, hey, they get don't talk about me like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this guy was so bad, Kevin. You weren't there yet. Mike, I don't know if he remembers, but who was it? Was it was it Kevin's brother <laughs> that, like, put peanut butter in a guy's doorknob every day and he fell for it every single day? <laughs> uh, I, I don't remember that one, Tom, but that was up on your floor where they were no, all No, you, you lived right across the hall from me. Sophomore year, up on my floor. <laughs> the selective memory of these army guys. <laughs> the, no, that was when I when we were seniors. Is it when I was right across the hall from you? You were in the single across the hall from us when we had the three the three lat the three the triple. Whatever we'll figure. Oh, I know which one. You're, okay, all right. Yeah. So right. hey, uh, we only got a couple of minutes. What um, Lou was talking yesterday about the one of the companies that got a big contract and he sent some stuff. Uh, and, and these experimental contracts, Mike, I don't know how... It's, it seems to me, and Lou was talking about it, that there's so many people doing so many pieces of the contract because there's all kinds of, you know, the wings might be different. This plane he was talking about, that this, this the guidance system might be different, that everybody gets like a small enough piece of it that you really can't go buy like, like Honeywell stock because they've got a, a $10 million piece of the new plane or something. It's really hard to to invest by contract because nobody really gets the whole thing do they I mean there's an assembler but even they have to buy all the other parts from all the other people it it seems like the more we dig into this the more kind of complicated it gets and, and you know investing for the the future if you think that defense is a place to be um was he pretty correct on that he usually is i i think he is tom and and look at the way that congress divvies up you know the military pie too i mean there's uh, there, I think uh, there are military, in, not installations, but military-type contracts in almost every congressional district, and that's why they 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 are able to divvy up these things the way they do. So, just because Honeywell's name might be on this new plane, you can't assume that the billion dollars a plane is all going to Honeywell. It's, I mean, maybe that, no, you cannot assume that. That is correct. All right, Mike. Well, thank you very much. Kevin, thank you. SB Futures, we're coming back. We're only down 21. NASDAQ Futures down 109. Uh, Apple's still down. Uh, well, Apple's only down 2 bucks now, so these guys are all coming back. Be right back. Stocks and Jacks. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, 
Give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Something happening here. Well, no, Stacks and Jacks. I'm talking about around the board. SP Futures down 21, which is a, a, a kick up from where we were an hour ago. NASDAQ Futures down 114, and the Apple's only down 202 now. These stocks are coming back a little bit. Uh, Amazon's still down 396, but it was down almost 5. So we're kind of creeping back. These things had a little bit of blip on the earnings yesterday, but not not horrible, horrible. Uh, I think the earnings season, earnings season has been pretty good for a lot of stocks, and uh, you know the expectations get pretty high. We were we were up 75 spook points yesterday. At one point we finished up maybe 35, so we came down kind of a bunch during the day yesterday, but still finished up. Even being down a little bit here this morning, we're still up for the two days. We have we have Mr. Carl. You do. How are you? you? Know, I'm out here in Colorado having a, a nice little ski vacation. Where whereabouts? Which one? Well, now so I'm going to ru- I may ruin the one of the hidden gems here in this state. It's called Wolf Creek. Oh, no, I, I've heard of that. I've never been there. It's supposed to be real nice. Uh, 400 inches of snow a year. Where exactly is that? It's, uh, so, east of Durango, between Pagosa Springs and South Fork, both of which are little podunk towns that don't, I mean, the Pagosa Springs actually has a hot spring, so, you know, people go there for that. Um, but uh, it's on top of a mountain path, and there's no partying there because the actual hill itself is on federal land. Okay. So you don't have the condos and the you know the usual BS that gets built up around the ski resort, right? Uh, so you have to come into town in order to stay. And uh, it's actually in South Fork anyway. It's somewhat difficult to find an open bar in the evening to go, you know, have a little fun afterwards. Uh, so you come here to ski. You don't. You don't come here to you know to hang out and party. If you're going to do that, go to you know go to Telluride or Breckenridge or you know somewhere else. Well, how does the uh, so you're, you're south. You're not as south far south as Telluride. Uh, yeah, actually south of Telluride. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's quite far south. It's uh, fairly close to the you know the southern border of the state. But it's the, the skiing is just absolutely unbelievable. It's it's and it's one of the few places where there is no such thing within the boundaries of the property as out of bounds. If you want to ski in the trees, they don't care. Uh, if you cack yourself, the snow is 10 feet high, and they will find you in April. Okay. 
Well, there's a so, there's a lot of places that are uh, that are they're in even though they're tree skiing and Steamboat's famous for its tree skiing, but it's but it's in the area and it's and it's patrolled. But but if you, when you're in there, you swear, you swear. I mean, what am I doing in there? Is the first thing that comes into your mind. I mean, I was never that good, but uh, some. What is the uh, now when you say that? I mean, I've gone to well, I've gone to a lot of places. I've never never been to this place. I should have. But it seems like even in a place like Steamboat, even though it is a national force, actually the, the only one I think, Carl, and again, this is I'm not trying to stump the Carl because it's hard to do. The only one I think is on private property is the one in uh, the high end joint in Utah. Uh, what's the what's the real high end one right next oh. to across the uh, Deer Valley? Park, park. No, the Deer Valley. Oh, okay. Because the mining company owned actually owned the whole mountain. And sold it to the ski company. Every other place oh. is is somewhat. I mean, I think is on, is on federal land. I mean, I mean, at Steamboat, for instance, there's a couple of roads up where you can build kind of on the roads. But there's on the bottom, you only you only they only they only they build. I mean, there's the village on the bottom. But right. I'm going to say I'm going to say the national forest starts maybe at whatever 500 feet up off the valley or something. So. Up to that point, I think people can can build or whatever. That's private property. And then after that, it's all national forest. I don't know where the the line's drawn, but usually the lo- the line is not drawn actually at the bottom. It's up you know, a little bit. I mean, Vale they they the the, the flatlands, the valley, and maybe up what a thousand feet are condos. And then the rest of it's uh, national forest, correct? Well, yeah, it's uh, and you know, but this is I guess whatever the the logistics of it here. Um, it's 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 just such that there really isn't any way for there to be uh, you know that that kind of a development happen at the actual hill. Well, the one I I, I never skied there, but I I drove by, by there a couple a bunch of times. We always used to drive out there. What's the one right up on Birdhout Pass? It's a uh, it's way the hell up there with nothing but wind, and I mean it's got massive amounts of snow, and uh, you have to go way down half a mile down for a little town to get a bar. But but nobody nobody wants to stay there. It's up, it, it, it's up in the. It's got to be. It's got to be twelve thousand feet up. I mean, it's. Oh no! This is this is pretty. Yeah, this is that sort of nuts. I mean, the the base, the the lodge. You know, where the you, know, you buy your lift ticket and you, know, you can get some food and a drink or whatever. Is at ten five. Yeah, it's. And so I mean, you know, the, and the summit is is close to twelve. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some places. I mean, I was, you know, even when I was young, of course, you like to party afterward. And uh, it's, I mean, I, I kind of like Vail and Steamboat because they're only like 6,500 feet at the base. You could actually sleep a little bit. I mean, I mean, if, I mean the other places, I mean, even if you're, you know, 30 years old in good shape, sleeping at 10,000 feet is a challenge, especially if you well, have a few it's, cocktails. it's interesting because, like, you know, I have, I have this crazy amount of data from the, the Garmin that I wear all the time. And, and... We've been out here all week, and last night was the first night that I actually got decent sleep. Yeah, I mean, I mean so if it you, takes a few days to, to acclimate. Okay? Well, I mean, it's like you know, you have yeah, you have yeah. a big dinner and fifteen cocktails when you're younger, and then all of a sudden, you know, you, in the back of your mind, if I was in a plane, I'd be on oxygen, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, no, and, and that's the thing is that I mean, there's you know, there are plenty of people that come up here that have problems because even down here in South Fork, you know, we're we're eighty six, eighty seven hundred feet here. Yeah. And so, I mean, there are there are plenty of folks that you know they get up here and have issues with you know with with maintaining their oxygen saturation. 
Well, when we were, uh, Dr. J had a guy, a buddy of his, that had a place in, uh, what's Breckenridge and, uh, what's the two other places there? Copper, what's the third one? Uh, begins with a K. Uh, oh, I don't know where that one There's is. a base. Yeah. Well, there's, there's four of them together, but this one, I think the, 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 the guy's condo was at 10-5. Yeah. Of course, of course, it's on the third floor, and at that time, I'm going to say Jan and I were in really good shape, and I was playing handball five days a week and running and all kinds of stuff, and and we just carrying our luggage to the f- third floor. I go, am I the only one on a breath? And Jan goes, you're not the only one. I mean, just walking up steps with your luggage was a challenge. I mean, when you're, when you're, when you're, I think it might have been 10-8. You ever, you ever ski at the, we get off the ski sub here and talk about, well, there's nothing to talk about until the numbers come out. Uh, what's the place in, uh, tell you, uh, Grand Targi? It's right near, no. uh, it's, you're, you're right, it's right, flip the other side of the mountain from Jackson Hole. Oh, okay. And it's, it, it's, if you ever, remember the movie, uh, uh, how was it, Hot Dog, the movie? With the gorgeous girls and the great skin? Oh, gosh, no, well, how did I miss this? Well, I don't know how you possibly missed it. It had a bunch of Playboy models back, back whenever we showed everything, and, and then there was great skiing, but it was, it was I'm, I'm just saying, how did I, I don't know how you missed it. Was it. Boy, did I miss something good. But there was a, there was the first scene where this kid straps on his, his, his uh, his skis. It's got to be one of the best ski films for the first five minutes of the movie you'll ever see. He gets at the top a Grand Targi and he just goes down. And the, the, the thing goes from there's a 1,500 feet of vertical. That's it. It's from 12,000 to 10.5. But the, but the powder is so, it's so cold up there. It's, it, if ever you see a powder movie filmed in the U.S. where, where the guy's skiing and like behind him is this huge trail of, of powder, I guarantee you it's filmed at Targi. Guarantee you. And, uh, huh. So, it would, but the, when you get to Driggs, Idaho, it's like a three-mile driveway straight up to get to this place, the parking lot. <laughs> anyway, if, if ever you're up there and ever you want to ski for just one day, because it's not that big, it, it, it's really an event. It is really something. And but yeah, uh, this is this is one of those things that you know. I mean, there's there's nothing in the Midwest that scares me. There's plenty out here. Oh God, yes. Well, the one in Montana, Big Sky, is real steep. We we ski that place. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know what? I've never been, I've never been to Aspen. We did tell you. Neither have I. Neither have I, and I haven't done Vail either. And I, I just, I refuse to put up with the, the craziness in terms of what they think that's. Oh yeah. You know, what, what they think it's worth. I, I'm like, uh, no, not when I can come down here. <laughs> well, well tell you ride was interesting because there was a, a boatload of drugs in that place. I mean, it was, it was really something. Oh yeah. And it was, I mean, uh, guys were doing lines on the bar. We we went to a, guys on the trading floor went up there, and one of the places had a pool table. Well, I was a pretty good pool player, not great. This other guy was better than me. And after three nights, we were like, we're really playing for beers. We never lost a game. Finally, one guy goes, God, yeah, we love having you guys here, but like, when are you going home? <laughs> I go, we're leaving tomorrow. The guy goes, good. <laughs> <laughs> but I was next to, who's, a, who's the guy who has the uh, um, Parkinson's disease, the actor, really good guy, Michael Michael J. Fox? Oh, J. Michael, uh, Michael Fox, yeah. Yeah, in the, in the, I was sitting next to him for two hours at the Fly Me to the Moon Saloon. I'm at a big, what, a great, what a great name for a saloon, huh? Uh, having yeah. having some cocktails. What a what a good guy. I mean, he was up there skiing. It was before he before he was diagnosed, so he was he was in good shape. But anywho, uh, before we get into the numbers when they come out, uh, Kyle, what what is the uh, logistics of the layoffs? Yet there was no spike. Matter of fact, the unemployment claims were actually low. What is the logistics on a bigger company uh, laying people off? Early or late, you got to give them the sixty days or whatever. And what if you just 
give somebody a paycheck for the 60 days? Can they file like next week because they're technically unemployed and not not under payroll anymore, or, or do you have to wait the 60? I mean, what, how does this all work out to where you know the the 1.9 million bazillion jobs for every person looking for a job? How, how do these numbers all all collect someday, and when will that day be? Well, you know that's that is kind of an interesting question because you you could file, but your effective separation would be the you know the point at which your sixty days from the Warren Act runs out. All right, explain so, the Warren. Explain the Warren Act. Back up. Back up. Explain what the Warren Act does. Okay, so the Warren Act basically says that if you're a, if you're a large business or actually a somewhat larger business. Um, is is that you have to provide you can't just turn around and can 20% of your staff any meaningful reduction in force has to be announced in advance and I believe the time period is 60 days now you can fire people immediately but if you do that you have to pay them for the 60 days alright so basically what it does is it protects it protects the employee from, from a no notice separation all right, um, and and the theory behind this is is that that tends to lead to economic shocks in local areas, and so the the government has stepped in and said, no, you can't do that kind of thing. Um, and then they, you know, they they have this idea that the balance of harms, uh, you know, is is in the correct position on that. Uh, the argument actually does make some sense. If, if you're that big of a company, the fact that you did it today or you did it in two months. Uh, probably doesn't change your, you know, your financial projections by very much, right? Um, and and so that's that's how it works. But the thing is, is that if you're still getting paid and you're still on the payroll, you can't file for unemployment uh, because you're still getting paid. You can't get a check, okay, from the government being unemployed when you're not unemployed yet. But you will be unemployed. Uh, that also gives you the opportunity to go, you know, start spreading your resume around, right? Try to right. try to not be unemployed. Yeah. <laughs> which, which of course, everybody that starts doing. So I, I think, I think part of what you're seeing is that that data will show up, but it's going to be, you know, those layoffs just started. I I think you see that in the probably in the February jobs report. Okay, and the, and the unemployment stats start to show up. Because you know, that's a weekly report on the on the unemployment claims. Then you're going to see the initial claims start to you know that's going to be reflected in there uh, oh, sometime the end of January, beginning of February, which is you know nowish, right? Um, but it's really going to pick up into the February and March numbers. That's where you're going to see it actually land for the stuff that happened uh, right at the end of the year. Carl, I'm not I'm not asking, hoping that you say yes here, but are there there have to be some exceptions to that? Uh, when I say that, uh, you can't get blood out of a turnip, as the as the Irish used to say. If if, if my business and I have five hundred people and we're we're merrily uh, you know pick something simple, we're merrily uh, making bullets for for the federal government or something, and all of a sudden they they say, by the way, we have enough bullets. This is your last shipment, uh, and I don't want any more. I don't know how. I, mean, I don't know if they would do that, or some company could go under. I mean, it could happen, and you all of a sudden your next 60 days work which is all scheduled out and you're going to pay people you don't have any uh we're exactly to get the money to pay all i mean in an emergency situation are there exceptions i guess is my my, my question um well if the firm was to file bankruptcy 
I I have a suspicion that uh, that doesn't apply. Okay, but I mean, it, sometimes it's not it's not quote your fault. I mean, all of a sudden the people you're merrily supplying are they're gone for some reason. They were cooking no, the books. I, yeah, I, I understand that, but I think I, I, you know my suspicion is is that essentially the, the you know the business has to be um, has to be smoked in order for you to not have that obligation if you meet the size requirements right. where, where you have to, you know, comply with the WARN Act. Yeah, because, I mean, hopefully the person you're supplying would have to comply as well, and you, you'd get the 60 days notice, correct? Or should? Or... Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's sort of the, you know, that's the rubric that, uh, that at least allegedly applies. There are, there are firms that have tried to evade this, and there are some that manage to pull it off, but you're going to get sued. I mean, you know, if you try to do it, you, you're absolutely going to get sued and sued immediately, and you probably will lose. I remember uh, when I was, and this is not a, a shot against anybody, uh, but it, it, at the time it was it was true, and it's a long time ago, Colonel, is that the teachers in Chicago, you could either elect to get paid over in the nine months you were teaching or get your salary spread out over the 12 months, which included the summer. However, right. if, if you decided to take it over nine months, you were technically unemployed for the three and could apply for unemployment, which I thought like really sucked, but, but nobody asked me. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure that that's, that's the deal going anymore, but back when I was uh, as a, a summer janitor, shall we say, and then, I, then I became a custodian. I was a custodian, a higher, higher guy than a janitor? Uh, I don't know that there's supposed to be a difference. I'm just saying be. it sounded better, didn't it? That's kind of sound better, doesn't it? Yeah, janitor. Somebody's they're mopping floors and cleaning toilets, and all this. What does a custodian do? I mean, you know, I guess you well, still I, have I to. I don't know. It seems to me it's kind of the same thing. But what do I know? Yeah, it's a, <laughs> <laughs> I got I got to be uh, quite the mopper. You know, when you start mopping gym floors and stuff, I mean, we didn't have any yeah. machines or anything. But uh, yeah, this this is you know this this employment report is going to be interesting. I think one of the things that, that fascinates me is is the. You look at what Jerome Powell, you know, what the Fed just did, right? Don't get me started. Don't get what, started. Comes, what comes immediately on the back of that is, is Facebook, you know, plays the, oh, by the way, we're buying back a bunch of stock and, and we're going to issue some more debt. And it, yeah. <laughs> it the same thing that drove all the crazy over the last 20 years, driven by below market rates, intentional credit emission by the Federal Reserve, which Powell has, has complained about, is saying, hey, you know, this is this is an unsustainable thing. You can't keep doing this. <laughs> and then, <laughs> it is 25 bits, and better comes out, does the exact same. It, there, there is a point at which, it, and the market, when you saw the reaction yesterday, at, the, at least at the beginning of it, they clearly believe that they've they've got Powell by the short and curly. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. And, and uh, all I see in, in what's going on right now, because, you know, the omnibus stuff hasn't even shown up in the PPI yet, okay? And it will, but it, is, but it isn't there yet. It just, because the money hasn't actually gone into the system yet, and until it does, it isn't going to show up in the economic data. So, but it's been allocated and is going to be spent. And so what I'm seeing is the same mistake that was made in the 1970s when... You had you had the original surge from inflation, which was you know which was caused by the Arab oil embargo and all that you know all that dislocation there. And then the Fed thought, oh no, everything will be fine. We could back off a little bit, but the deficit spending kept going, and the money printing kept going, 
and uh, the market got, the, yeah, it'll be okay. And then all of a sudden, number two comes around and whacks everybody upside the head. Well, Kyle, the people in the know right now who think they're in the know, smart money, as they say on uh, TV, which how you figure out who's a smarter buyer or seller, I have no idea. But smart money is right now, I mean, as much as, I mean, you and I are, are somewhat on the same monetarist page, and, and a lot of the people that you know, call into the show are, this, ev- everybody, even if you interviewed them, they wouldn't even know what they think, probably. Everybody is convinced that that this guy, at the end of three or four more months, we're going to start seeing inflation numbers in the 2 and 3% range, and by God, we deserve to be at 2% on interest rates, and we're going to get right back down there, and we're going to see these yep. market go right back where it was. Plus, I, uh, I'm going to take it. We only have a well. We got enough time before to have a, a deep discussion here uh, before the numbers come out. How can when you talk about the '70s and the Fed tried this round back? The simple. I mean, I, I'm thinking, Carl, and you, and you, whatever. You're my guy. Whenever I go to for for stats, the basic problem to go to go to the nuts and bolts of it. Is when 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 there is no such thing, and I I said this to a few people that are economists. I actually said this to one of the economists at the Fed, and he thought I was out of my mind. I said there is no such thing as fiscal policy. There hasn't been for a hundred years. The guy looked at me like I had, I had four heads. Right. I said fiscal policy by definition. This is Keynesian fiscal policy. Your your federal government would say the economy's dragging a little bit. Okay, for whatever reason, we're going to. Lower taxes or increased spending, essentially going to a deficit situation, assuming you were not in a deficit situation in the first place. And tell me where I'm wrong here. So, but the idea is normally one of the biggest identities in all of economics is savings equals investment. The amount of money that people do not spend and put in the bank or someplace is now available for other people to borrow to invest with, and that number is is sacrosanct, right? That those that that always yeah. has to equal. Okay, so. Normally, when I say normally, when I grew up, savings was like twenty percent. Most, a lot of families, if they made hundred dollars a week, put twenty right in the bank and lived on eighty. Well, I don't, Absolutely, I, you know. So that was the investment. So people left their own devices will essentially save. So eighty percent of the money goes into consumption, and twenty goes in. Now, if you if you think your economy is dragging a little bit, what you can do is either uh, decrease taxes. Okay, or spend more money, which puts you in a deficit situation. So you're essentially dragging more money out of people, or you or you borrow it from them. Now, if you borrow it from them, clearly the money they give you, the government's not going to save at all. So they're going to spend everything. So you pick up this twenty percent, right? That people are normally saving in the short term, because in the long term you got to have investment, or you're not going anywhere, right? So, so for a short period of time, you can actually deficit spend by either. Uh, uh, selling bonds, which is borrowing, or you can you can uh, tax less or spend more just generally. But you, in order to finance it, you have to go out and borrow the money. Now the uh, the other way of doing it is having the Fed just print it for you, okay? But now there's a danger there is now you start putting more and more money in the system, and inflation inevitably follows. It's always a monetary phenomenon. And if you look back at the Civil War, instead of looking at it, who's shooting who and who people people are dying, which is, you know, that's really the way you want to look at it. But right. If you look at it from the, the money point of view, the Fe- the Confederacy printed all kinds of money. And, oh, by the way, they printed it on crummy paper so people were able to counterfeit, which made it even worse. So they were increasing their money supply, what, 25 40% a year, and, and the place went under due to inflation. Now, the Union side 
actually only pr- pr- uh, produce like 10, 12% a year of funny money, which is actually in wartime amazingly, uh, I'll say, rigorous and stingy with it, right, Carl? So the union, right. the union never lost their monetary base, where the Confederacy did. Nobody, nobody would trade with them. Nobody would sell them guns because they couldn't pay for it. Well, we, we actually kicked more money into the money supply in the last three years with COVID than we did on a percentage basis in the entire Civil War. So this now the, the, the government, our, our federal government, is totally out of the habit, Carl. I mean, I'm talking, and you tell me where I'm wrong. Of if they say they're going to spend a trillion dollars, it, it doesn't even cross their mind that they're going to raise taxes for a, million, a trillion or they're going to borrow a trillion. They're thinking maybe two-thirds at best, and that the Fed is going to essentially print them the rest. And this is the habit that they're into. And until, until Jerome Powell gets up there one day, instead of dicking around with uh, 2% here, we'll do this. The simple fact is nobody believes that this money supply is going to keep coming down as long as these guys keep spending because it can't. They're going to have to come back out and put more money in there. They're going to be forced to, just like in the 70s. Where, where am I wrong with my rant there? No, it's, that's uh, it's essentially the, the issue. But what you have going on right now is is that people in the market believe that this doesn't need to, in any way, be reversed back out. Well, because if you own stock, it, you don't want it to be. Well, of course you don't want it to be, but what you want and what has to happen are two different things. I mean, you know, the, the problem with the sort of inflationary ramp that you've seen in, in basic things that people need to buy is that if you don't take it back out, the point at which it cranks up the incapacity of people to manage to make it work out goes up the economic ladder. Okay, it goes from the very poor people up into the middle class. And at a certain point, you end up with extreme political upheaval out of this. Which is which is where we're getting. We're we're, we're, we're the early stages of that. Well, we're pu- yeah, we're pushing on. You know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're in that zone, okay. And and that is the place where governments fail. Well, I that mean, is the place where extraordinarily bad things happen across the economy. And it's not. And in once it starts, there's anything you can do about it because. We're talking about extreme amounts yeah. of violence, and it's it's not able to be suppressed because people are hungry. And, it, and at a certain point, you know, it's, it's what they say. Someone, someone who is, is well-fed and has a warm place to sleep generally doesn't riot. Well, and, I, and that's true. We're going to have to go to break here a little bit early, Carl, but I, 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 I've, I've argued, well, I'm arguing, I've discussed with my brother and pretty much everybody else. They, take, they think I'm, I'm totally all wet by my interpretation of Paul's stuff. And what I, what I heard, and again, it's, it's not what somebody says, it's what you hear. What I heard was, if we can fight the inflation numbers with the crummy numbers he uses, basically down to this 2 or 3% number, we're okay with it and we're done. So um, to me that says, we know the price of the Ford pickup has gone from 28 to 45 and as long as it doesn't go to 46 we're kind of okay with it at 45 is what is what essentially he told me, and I don't think I don't think the population's comfortable there, but but they are. I think I think they are. Yeah, well, that's yeah. They're not they're not going to attack any of the bubble that they've put in, which by the way would be a pretty tough job, and it would have, it would have its own repercussions. But they're saying well, they're, whatever they're, they're, we got, they're we got have to. That's the problem. You think so? They're not, they're not going to just let people normally grow into it by getting you know one percent or two percent more a year. And, and, uh, and but you, but you and, can't. But you can't because without positive real rates, it never stops. 
The current it does numbers. You're right. Let's let's dash here to break a little early so we can come back with we get these numbers. Let's be down twenty one. Nasdaq is on one hundred and four. Be right back. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, everybody. Stocks and jocks. I'm Tom Howell. Andrew on the board. We're going to keep this brief because these numbers are all over the place. If you want to get to these numbers, anyway, the number came in at 517,000 versus an expected of 187 unemployment rate of. 3.4. So we're going to get back to Carl as soon as we had. We had the XP futures. They were down as much as 50. Now they're down 37. Because this would mean that the economy is a lot hotter than the Fed's talking about. As that futures down 190. Again, we're coming back here from being on the low. Uh, we have the, the uh, Dow futures down. Uh, let me see where the Dow futures are. But we're not going to give the stuff from the uh, rest of the of the world here because we're running a delay on that. Uh, Dow futures down 60. Uh, we have uh, gold is headed south here a little bit. Uh, down a buck and a half. So Andrew, give a real quick report, and we'll come back to Carl, and we'll worry about the other stuff later. Okay, sounds good. 
Uh, it is currently 7.33 on February 3rd here in Chicago. Uh, last night, starting with sports, the Bulls won over the Hornets, 114-98. And tonight, we can look forward to the Suns playing the Celtics at 6.30 Chicago time. Over the weather, is currently 0 degrees in Chicago, clear but windy skies. Going to have a high of 12 degrees today. And over in Phoenix, they're at 44 degrees, mostly clear, and they're going to have a high of 73. Now, finally, for Chicago traffic, still pretty simple, not too many uh, major accidents to report, but uh, traffic is building on the major expressways, as it always does. So that's my quick report. Back to you, Chief. Uh, Carl, I'm watching, I'm looking at the A1 here, of the, and uh, I, oh, where, where, do all these people, where, where do all these people come from? Well, okay, so there's, so January is revision month for the population side. Okay, so the so this is on Table A one, your civilian non-institutional population number uh, gets revised in January to account for the errors that have accumulated over the last twelve months. Uh, and this happens every year, uh, and it is essentially the BLS. Uh, what they do is they use the ACS, which the Census Bureau does. That's, I don't know if you've ever gotten one of those. That's the long-form survey. I have, well, it's everything in there. They want to know everything. And it doesn't get sent out every 10 years. It gets sent out all the time, okay? That's how they, that's where that, that's the base data set that the BLS uses to revise those numbers. Uh, And that happens every January. All right, so the nasty part of this is that if you look at, for example, um, November to December, the civilian non-institutional population is going up about 140,000 a month. Okay, and that and that number's been fairly consistent. It's about that. All of a sudden, we get here, and we're 1.1 million. Is yeah, the delta between November or between December and January? So, what this does is it takes the employment population ratio which I have always argued is the most important figure in these series because only working people ultimately fund the government and pay taxes. Everybody else sucks money out of the government. Right. Right. Well, we have, I mean, it's pretty basic. You're well, not, just, you're uh, not, it's not just employment taxes, it's all taxes. If you're not working, you're not, you know, well, just you're not putting anything in. Just emphasize what you just said. If you look at the, uh, the monthlies, the entire year up to last year from January, we... We were up a million six in people, okay. Right. And this last month, they got us up a million one. Right, and so what that did was that took three ticks off the employment population ratio. It's not fifty nine seven, which, by the way, goes all the way back to February of last year, and completely, essentially, completely erases all the progress that we made over the last twelve months. Well, and the people that are that are. Uh, in the workforce, okay, of various kinds, it, we went from one hundred sixty-three six million to one sixty-four nine, which is one point three million. And in the last month, we're up nine hundred thousand. So we got nine hundred thousand people more in. They've got eight hundred thousand more working. Actually, a few less unemployed, and they've got uh, we've got more people, and we don't know what they're doing. Count. So yeah, well, the, yeah, the what, the what we're doing column went up uh, uh, two sixty. Yeah. Which is a lot. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's, well, but but again, okay, so the gross number in the unadjusted for January was down neg 180. 
Okay, now January is normally a big firing month because all the people that were working over Christmas get laid off, right? right. So, I mean, that is, that is normal. Now, last year, it was not a particularly violent downward move. It was only neg 114. But, that, but again, this is, you know, this is all pandemic stuff. 2021 was normal. It was negative 1.2 million. And that's, that is normally what you see on a January is about a million people lose their jobs. And, and that's, you know, that's all the temporary workers. It's not, it, it doesn't have any real economic significance. What they're saying here is it didn't happen this time. Okay. All right. So my uh, so my positive number is an adjustive number. It's really the, the 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 real number is it didn't happen, but it should have happened. So the adjustment is what I'm looking at the eight hundred thousand more people. Uh, right. So so this plus five hundred is is really an adjusted number. The raw data, the raw delta is neg one eighty, but that is a that is way less than is normally the case in a January. Okay. Okay, and so, so yeah, I mean, it, you know, the coherence within the report is there, um, but the, but the, you know, the real nutcracker, if you will, is is this revision in the civilian non-institutional population, because what that says is that this, you know, this supposed, uh, you know, jobs miracle that the Biden administration has put in place uh, really needs to be tempered by the fact that uh, there's a whole lot more people than we thought were there, and therefore this this so-called growth in the jobs market is, is a chimera. Well, I have a, uh, kind of a, a form question here. You're not you're not looking at the same, but it, it goes year by year, okay, and it gets to 2022. Then it starts, and it, but then it takes 2022, and it it gives you the month by month. But how come the end of year number? 2022 does not match the end of December number for 2022. Well, BLS is a little odd the way they compile things. Because you would think it, it would be the December number of 2022 would be the end of year number, wouldn't it? Well, you'd think, yeah. Except it really isn't because it's, again, the survey week's the third week okay. in the month. Okay. Um, one of the interesting things here is that the, the 12-month run rate adjusted for population change. Okay, so this is the the number of people who are employed um, adjusted for the change in the non-civilian population over the last 12 months. Not last month, but 12 months. Only 314,000. Okay. So that is, you know, that is the employed this month minus the employed January of last year. Right, I've got, from that, I got the three million between the non-institutional population change. Yeah, because I've got three million more people employed than last year. You do. You have three point oh seven four. Right. Yeah. Um, however, when you look at it in terms of the population change, it's only three hundred fourteen thousand. That's not so good. All right. So, and, and I, I argue you have to look at it that way. There isn't any other. You know, there isn't any other real way to look at it. Okay. So. The uh, what you're saying is we we've added people, but we're not adding people into the employment as fast as we're adding them. In other words, we'd like to have when I say we'd like to have back in the the day when things were I'm going to say normal when we had we had probably 63, 64 percent of the people in the labor force all had a job. And right, now, and, now, and, now, and we're, we we have seen a deterioration in this since the the 2000 time frame right 
on a on a fairly consistent basis, and it you know it goes up and down with economic cycles. But but fifty nine, you know, fifty nine is pretty funky. Okay, I mean it's, it's been fifty nine, sixty. It I mean, if I look yeah. at the, you know, I go back to uh, two thousand. It was it was almost sixty. It was it was sixty four. It hit sixty four in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, sixty four seven, sixty four nine. I mean, that was you know, that, and that was not bad. Okay, that was actually quite good, and uh, you know, but we haven't been anywhere near it. It's it's, it's been on a essentially a decline since that point, and you know, we had the you know the so called Great Recession. Okay, you know, we got down in the fifty, you know, in the the fifty sevens, fifty eight area, um, and then it came back around, you know, sixty ish, but we never really got much more than that. Okay, we do, it, it just never happened. And then, you know, and then, of course, the pandemic hit, and people got laid off, and then we had that temporary huge dip that was down to 55, 51.3, actually, uh, it, you know, March, uh, April, I'm sorry, April of 2020, 51.3, I mean, you know, you want to talk about a punky number, that's terrible, but it, it started recovering almost immediately, and by the time that we were into, you know, September of 2020, we were back up around 57-ish. Well, what Carl's talking about is, if, if you look at, like, 2007, we had 146 million employed, and in '78, not knowing what they were doing, and then seven unemployed. So it was like 146 to 85, whatever that ratio is. And now we're we're at uh, really 160 to 100. So it's we've we've we picked up 15 million people more working, but we also picked up 15 million people that we don't know what they're doing. Uh, and it, and if they're retired and stuff, it means less and less people are paying for every person who's now, granted, you could be somebody that says, "Well, they're all they're all selling selling crap on Etsy, and half of them are really are employed, and they're not a, a burden on anybody." But I, I don't know how you count that. I don't, I don't know if you can make a blanket statement like that, Carl. I mean, some people do. Well, yeah, people try. I mean, I I don't know that you can actually you know really get there. The, the other thing that's kind of interesting in here is that there's when you look at like where you know where where the dispersion was among uh, educational status, which you know, I've, I've harped on for a long time. Um, the people without high school diplomas, actually, from on a percentage basis, um, that employment population ratio went down a couple of ticks, which again is normal because it's that's you know that's a lot of people that were hired for seasonal work uh, that were in school, okay, and then you know then they get let go because you know this is after that. Uh, high school graduates really got hammered this last month. Really? Okay. Um, so that's, yeah, they're, they're, they went from 54.1% in employment population to 53.7%. That's, that's, that's not a good one month change. Um, and, and those people with bachelors uh, were better, believe it or not, lost four ticks. So you were asking, where is, where's the data on the people who got cut in the tech sector? It's starting to show up here. Because most of those people have bachelor's degrees or better. Okay. And it is starting to show up here. It's a, the, the employment population ratio for those people is down four ticks. I'm going to say for the for those that say, uh, don't worry about the people in the last column here, because oh, all, by, by the way, uh, that's uh, th- there's uh, about two hundred sixty, two hundred seventy thousand that went from employed to unemployed in the last month on that in that table. Oh yeah, that's well, that's what I'm looking at. So, uh, I mean, so that's real. That's the lay. That's that's those are those layoffs. They're well, there. Well, adjusted is. Uh, Hundred and something, something there, and but I, yeah. I think Carl actually, uh, you know, somebody who still does a little bit of remodeling work, or not, I don't do it, but I mean, I hook people up with stuff because I know people. Uh, you're gonna, you can get people to get people. They would, let's put it this way: if if somebody 
has a regular job and they come paint your house on a Saturday, they're gonna they're gonna want cash or not want it, but they would they would like it if yeah. you just gave them cash. But nobody really is is capable. Well, I won't say nobody. Most people are not capable of working for cash now because you can't buy anything. You right. Try and buy a house. If even you say, well, I make fifty grand a year. Okay, where's your pay stubs? Well, I don't have yeah, any. Yeah, prove it. Right. Yeah, yeah, I don't have any. I mean. I mean, if you can buy the house cash, nobody cares, but nobody can, right? So, or very few people can. So, you, you, you'll see actually the amount of. I would say, you know, just anecdotally, that the amount of people in this last column that we don't know what they're doing that are actually working might be less than it was twenty years ago, not more. But yeah, I think that's 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 entirely possible. I, there's there's another statistic in here that I really don't like. Um, that that. Pretty nasty. I'm, I'm going, you know, I'm paging through this while we're talking. Um, over the last 12 months, nearly a million people uh, in this report uh, have popped up with a disability that didn't have before. Well. So, you know, I've talked about bad impacts in places that the, you, the people who would not like you to notice them can't filter out. Yeah. They can't block. This is one of those places that they can't block that data from being reported. Well, it's here. It went from 31.6 January 22 to 32.585 this month. Well, I, I That's think nearly a million. That's not a small number. But I, I think what you're what you're seeing, uh, Carl, and this is not a a shot. Well, here's an inter- here's another interesting thing, though, Chief. The popula- the the employment population ratio among people with a disability went up. So, you know, we always say what happens is people, you know, they get disabled and then they drop off and go on the government dole, right? Right. Oh, yeah. And, well, this data says, yes, indeed, of course, that does happen. However, the the, the employment population ratio went from 20.7% to 22.4% over the last 12 months. Okay. So... Yeah, these people are popping up with disabilities, but they're working anyway. They're working anyway at a higher percentage. Well, it, in the, I, I think in, in some areas, and we did. We God, remember how many years ago this was? Carl, the guy, the guy, get the guy, a, a guy, a person uh, who was writing for the Washington Post. It's one of the last articles I've seen, kind of of this of this level, Carl. But he wrote something that was about a. F- it was an article that you know I'm going to say I'm not going to say nobody, but a lot of people don't read because it actually was like two or three pages of the paper like four days in a row right. you know so we're looking at this and if i can't get my the, the buzz line out of the two pair first two paragraphs i don't want it uh but it had to do with uh he, he described it as the horseshoe of despair and he, and he started yeah. he started in the essentially in appalachia went south across the south and back in, the, right. in Ar- arkansas and it looked like kind of a horseshoe and uh his point when he went from county to county and some of the stuff was uh, i'm gonna say it was almost brutal uh Colin. Oh, it was it was ridiculous, and a lot of that yeah. was driven by that opioid thing. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and, and you know, you know, trailers in, in West Virginia where the kids don't go to school, and the, right. there's like five checks showing up there, and there's how many people living in it. But he 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 got to this one county. Was it in Alabama or Mississippi? You might remember more than me. Where the amount of people on disability in the county, and this one doctor was making everybody not making. He was saying everybody was disabled. The the percentage of people in the county. That were disabled was like a total outlier anywhere in the country, but he was saying that the people who were disabled 
essentially were defined by their jobs. And they interviewed a couple ladies that had worked in nursing homes. Right, they, they couldn't find a job that they didn't have to be on their feet or something yeah, like yeah. this. I mean, name me, I'm not going to say guy or woman. Now, now if, you, if you're there, if somebody is, is big and can't get out of bed, they have this thing you bring with them and they put their arms in it and it drags them up. But for a hundred years or for, for thousands of years, if somebody couldn't get out of bed, somebody helps them, right? Right, right. And if, and if somebody is, is bigger or even that bigger, and the nurse or even the, the male nurse is 140 pounds on the, on the female and 180 pounds on the guy, and you're hauling up people out of bed 200 times a day for 20 years, I'm going to say you got a bad back. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, that, that probably is the case. Yeah. I, it, you know, here's a, it, there's some other interesting, there's, there's some interesting stuff in here. So, you know, U6 is this marginally attached thing, right? This yeah. is the, the, the big unemployment number, not the primary reported one, but the big, the so-called big one. That went up a full percent last month. Really? Now, why? Now explain explain the difference. Now, that's you, interesting. I, I'm, you know, I'm still scanning through this as we're talking. Right, explain the difference between those two, because that, that's the big number. That's a... Right, so so the the basic number that you see reported, the official unemployment rate is U3. Okay, and that's that this month was reported as 3.9. Three, actually, 3.4. Well, the, the inside table here, somebody's going to issue a revision because the inside table here says that's 3.9. All right, because definitely on the, on the published Last number... Last month was 3.3. Three. All right, the, the published number and the one that's been bouncing all over the TV is 3.4. I, I know. Well, I'm I'm saying this is. <laughs> I'm, I'm in here looking at table A15, okay. And U3 is the official unemployment rate in Jan 2023. See, see I'm looking at table now. One of these figures is obviously been picked up in the wrong place. Carl, you're not okay. supposed to look past table A1, which is the one I'm looking at. I'm I'm all the way down to A15 right see, now. See, no, you're not, you're not supposed to. Yeah, 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 that's. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah, I know you're not supposed to read beyond that, especially if you're CNBC, right? Yes, yes. Um, so, but the the U6 number is unemployed plus persons marginally attached to the labor force, so people are drifting in and out, plus total employed part time for economic reasons. So those people who want to be have full time jobs but don't. Right. Which is which is the uh, real number? That's that's the pain number. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I call that one the pain number, because that really is kind of the pain number. That's 7.4, and that's up a full percent from last month. Okay, right, what, what, what happens if you are, and this is somewhat... Te- now, again, that's not seasonally adjusted, okay? Now, the, the seasonally adjusted number is 6.6, six, because, you know, the BLS has to, you know, has to make things look nicer than they really are. Okay, so, I mean, I, in terms of what people are telling me, and I... And you're you're my you're my my bounce off guy and how these numbers enter the fray. Uh, like I said, I, t- I see this guy every Sunday morning when I buy gas and get coffee, and he he's got a second job at Wendy's. All right, right. I shouldn't have said the name, but allegedly he's getting forty hours a week, but he never quite gets there. If they're slow on Thursday, they say don't come in on Friday. So I'm going to say he's averaging thirty, maybe even twenty eight, which now is dropped down into part time. When, you know, obviously he wants to be full time, you know. Right. So, so how, where does he land on this thing? Because if you were to 
call Wendy's, they'd probably say, "Is it an hour number?" Now, is he? Do they? Do they say he's he's part time? Anybody really? Want, I mean, how do they? How does the BLS know whether he's just picking up a shift when he can and is happy as a clam doing that, or whether he's supposed to be there forty and they're only giving him twenty eight or thirty and he's pissed off? I mean, how, how, how do they make the? How do you make that determination? Uh, that comes out of the household surveys. They they ask they ask whether or not if if you know if you're employed part time, do you want to be employed full time? And you're you're not for economic reasons. All right. So, but if you get okay. if you get told not to come in a day that week, and you're now at thirty two, they're not going to ask that question in their household survey. I mean, how does, how does well, that? Well, not in that way. But the, but they ask you as the employee. So if you happen to be bent out of shape about it on that day, then yeah, you know, you'd say yes, I am. Right, so you say I'm not supposed to be part time, but it looks like I am. Is basically what you right, say. Exactly, and then, so then they're going to count you as, as part time for economic, you know, for economic reasons. Okay, well, you'd like to be forty, but you're not. Right, exactly. Okay, and, and now it, there's a confounder in here. Okay, so you know there were some bad numbers, right? Some bad in that number. I go down here to B two, and I see that the average hourly work week went up three ticks. Now each of those is is a few hundred thousand people that's a lot, yeah. in terms of impact. I mean, that that is a ooh, that is a good number. I and you would not expect to see that in January because again people get laid off, right? But where all where that came from for the most part was goods producing and specifically um, it looks like mining and logging uh, along with constru- construction in December and January. Uh, construction and you know and some manufacturing too, although the manufacturing um, was was again spread both between durable and non-durable goods. Service providing not so much up to you know up two ticks um, instead of uh, three, so you know and not so much there. But again, you had you had time gains. Okay, in hours worked. That's uh, that is a fairly. Uh, this is basically saying Powell. If Powell thinks he's getting restrictive monetary policy, he's not. No, he's, he's definitely not. He's <laughs> a lot of this data, I say, well, you know, this says that essentially Powell is an idiot, and if he thinks that he's actually getting into the realm of restrictive monetary policy, he is absolutely not doing so. You're seeing both hours work go up, and you're seeing overtime go up. All right. So, all right. Now, hold that thought for a second, because I have uh, actually two questions, and we've got four minutes. And these are well. I'm trying to think. Yeah, by, and by the way, average weekly earnings an hour and wages are are still rising too. All right. So, if if you look at even the monthly money supply numbers they give us, and you look at the Fed balance sheet, both of those numbers seem to confirm that they're actually the money M two is actually shrinking a little bit, and the balance sheet is going down every month. So, but I agree with you. It's it's not behaving like that. Not enough. But the question is, where where is the money coming from? I mean, it, you're saying they're not dribbling, but they are dribbling a little bit, and, uh, and it, it should be after that this many months, six eight months of even dribbling a little bit of, of, of the money supply coming down. Even though it got so big so fast, I would have thought that there would be a little bit of a retarder here, and it doesn't seem like there is. There's there's not, and I think essentially what you did is it's kind of like, you know, you you take you take a cocaine addict and you dump a whole eight ball on the you know, on the bar counter in front of him, right? Um, he can't sort it all at once. He'll die. Okay. <laughs> right? So <laughs> he's going to do a line here and a line there. It's going to take a while for him to use it all up. So that's kind of what I think at. that's kind of what we're seeing here is that there's there was so much swap that was thrown into the system 
that what they're doing at this point really hasn't done anything. They haven't taken, from an effectiveness standpoint, they have done nothing. So the, the amount of money the checks people got, some people got, the millions of dollars they got from PPP and all this other stuff in these companies, they're still awash with. They're still buying stuff. They're still, they, need to, they, need to, they need to have a, couple, a month where they drain out, you know, $100 billion or something, and they're not doing that. Yeah, they need to. They need to. I mean, the idea that you can very slowly start to contract a balance sheet after you throw you know six trillion dollars into it over the space of a couple of years, I think that's stupid. You're you're, you're never going to have a, a significant economic impact until you essentially reverse what you did. Uh, the and other, and yep. they've got nowhere near that. And, and the data is saying that they're getting nothing they're getting from nothing that standpoint from so far. All right. Now the other question. This is a maybe it's a question only I would ask and probably only I would give a crap about. Um, the million one people that magically appeared in January that's the result of like you say it's an adjustment of years of the in, in November you put out these numbers I'll just pick a month in November you put out this number do you know then you're 800,000 people off and just don't tell people in January it has to totally screw up the last four or five months numbers that you are publishing it screws it up throughout the year the the Essentially, what the what the BLS does is is run just a projection forward off the the ACS that they got from the previous year. Okay. Okay. So it, there, it's it's a guess, and then at the end of the year they reconcile against the ACS, and that and that happens every January, and and they're usually they are usually off by quite a bit. Okay, this is not a particularly ridiculous um, error. Okay, I mean, last last year it was one point one million, and this year it's one point one million, and this, and this and this year it's about a million too. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. and the thing is, though, is that now in twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one, it was it was a negative figure. The revision was down. Okay, real wow. Well, it was two sixty one two thirty to two sixty eight fifty one. That's a, I, okay. You were wrong the other way. I, there there isn't a directional bias to this. Um, at least not one that, that I find to be particularly compelling. It's not like I can say, well, they're intentionally sandbagging, you know, to make the make the employment population ratio look bigger, you know, better throughout the year, and then, you know, oops, in January. It's not consistent. Well, do but, you, but January is the month that it happens every year. So, I mean, right now I'm looking at the amount of creatures around, and the workforce was 264,844, and now it's 265,962. Right. Are, are you confident that the... Reasonably confident that the two sixty five nine sixty two number we got today is more accurate than the one last month. Um, sort of, sort of, but it will start to drift again tomorrow. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I mean, if you were if you were to say if, uh, an accurate number of how many people there are in the country, what what would you even do? Would you take a sample? Would, would people move? From county to county and state, to, I mean, how well, would you well, that's 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 essentially what the ACS does. Okay, okay. and that's and that's its purpose. Okay, but I mean, I I've lived a while and I've only filled out one of those things. It's not like I do. Uh-huh. One I've only gotten one in my lifetime as well. But it, but with the boy, oh boy, does that one surprise you when you look at the depth of what they want? How many people I filled it out and I'm going, man. It's almost like uh, they want to know shoe size. And by the way, how's your toenail? Yeah. How's your toenail doing today? Like, I mean, it was it was it had to be what fifteen pages. Oh yeah, it's huge, and and uh, you know supposedly um, it is uh, you know it's got all kinds of warnings. You know this is required by law, blah 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 blah. I'm wondering what percentage of people bin that thing too. 
Well, I actually, it was so, I, I'd never gotten anything like that ever from any government that was that, I'll use the term invasive, and I, I'm filling it out, and while the warning's on it and stuff, I'm going, is this really them, or is this a scam? Somebody trying to find out all about me. I was in disbelief. real, but, but yes. <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I was absolutely in disbelief of, uh, you know, I... Uh, you know, Jan Flanagan's on a couple days a week, and Jan loves to do uh, historical stuff. And he found uh, uh, all the, the, for whatever reason, the census stuff is 70 years before they per- put it out or some, some incredible number. They just put yeah, out- well, the, the, the detailed data, yeah, because it's, it, is, it is sufficient to specifically identify people. Okay, well, the 1950 stuff just came out, when I say just came out like a year ago. Right. So, so Jan got me all the data on my my Irish ancestors and my Italian, and it, but the data my my grandmother, who was an immigrant from Ireland, was singled out for for specific data. There wasn't any. How old? I don't know. <laughs> it looked. I was baptized such and such. What was your job? Well, I don't have a job. But the, the specific data, I I can't imagine why that needed to be classified for. I came over from Ireland. I did uh, what she do. She did quilting for somebody, and she raised a family. Okay, what's so specific about that? My grandfather wasn't. Nobody. I mean, that needed to be the the data. It might be specific, but there wasn't any. Everybody, nobody had a story to tell. Yeah, it's it, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it, but they, you know, but they. I mean, I understand the reason for the rules. Okay, yeah. but seventy. I guess they could cut it to fifty, and I, I wouldn't be all that upset about it. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, it's, it's just one of those things It's like, well, uh, you know, the premise behind it is you're either going to be dead or not care by the time it actually gets released. Right, right. right. Uh, that, but that's it, all. So this number, uh, is it confusing? Is it good? Is it bad? Where, where, where would you put it if you had put one word around it? Um, I would say that it's, that it's, it's surprisingly strong uh, given the normal pattern for January. Uh, the the back revisions essentially throw an awful lot of cold water on the supposed great jobs growth that we've had over the last twelve months. Okay, that's that's a bunch of BS. I thought last month was uh, it was adjusted upward. Well, it's because you adjust the number of people. Okay. Okay. So the so yeah, the jobs happened, but there were more people. Therefore, the ratio is less by a lot. And in fact, on a ratio basis, we haven't gained anything since February. So this supposed great jobs environment is, is you know. <laughs> well, they're they're but, they're saying uh, according to the, the table one is we're pretty we're steady on the ratio. We're actually up up a little bit. Yeah, and and the thing is though is that what's what this is what this is saying is that when you look at the internals of the data, it's saying that Powell's actions so far have done absolutely nothing to slow things well, down. We'll see what the market's doing. I would agree with you. Carl. We got a dash, but talk at you next week. Enjoy your skiing. Be careful. SP Futures down 47 now, and as if you're down 240, we decided, looking back at these numbers, the market doesn't like it so much. We'll be back on Monday, Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 
403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.